Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 379. Today is Sunday the 28th of June 2020. My name is Minter Dial and I'm your host for this podcast. And wherever you may be listening to this podcast, I hope you're saying sane and stimulated. Today's interview is a corker. For all of you who are interested in marketing, you're going to love this show because it's with Diane Young. Diane founded with her husband, George, The Drum in 1985 and has turned it into a powerful and global media platform, rivaling Adweek and AdAge. With a mission statement, marketing can change the world. Diane talks to us about some of the amazing challenges and disruptions she's faced and overcome, the burgeoning opportunities for marketers to adapt and change, as well as providing some great insights and lessons learned from her entrepreneurial journey as CEO of The Drum. You'll find all the show notes on minterdial.com and please consider to drop in your rating and don't forget to subscribe to catch all of the future episodes. Now for the show. Diane Young, how wonderful to have you on the show. You and I met in a panel. You are the co-founder of The Drum, a wonderful uh, online resource for me and my, all marketers with your husband, Gordon. And that was back in 1985. My goodness. So you're now the CEO. It's become a global media platform just behind Adweek and AdAge. Uh, in terms of marketing news, and it's the biggest marketing website in Europe. Congratulations, Diane. How would you Thank like you. to describe yourself? <laughs> how would I like to describe myself? Well, that's how long have we got? <laughs> um, as long as you wish. I describe myself as um, hardworking, uh, ambitious. Um, I'm curious all the time um, about what's coming next and what's going on at the moment. Um, and, you know, I'm not afraid of a challenge. Uh, which we often have in media. I think at the moment, you know, running a media business is, is challenging. The market's changing. The models are dissolving as fast as they're appearing in some mm. cases. Um, and so I think I've got, um, I don't know, what's the word? I think I've got grit. Love that word. <laughs> a recommendation for the Angela Duckworth book, Grit. For anyone who hasn't read it, I highly recommend it. So one of the... Um, well, you're obviously in the marketing space, and Diane, and, and you have a, a mission for the drum, which is marketing can change the world. Can you describe the origin story of that? When you know, was it over a dinner with Gordon? You know, pints in a pub. How did they come around? Yeah, I think it was probably a bit uh, more dull than that. I think it was probably in a meeting <laughs> uh, somewhere, but uh, on one of the classic off-site meetings where you go away to, you know, have some blue sky thinking, and we were wondering about you know why we why we've done what we do all these years um, and why we still really care about it um, and it was because we genuinely think that marketing's worthwhile that the world would be you know a worse place if it if it wasn't here how would you find out the products the services the events the music um all the all the things that add to your life how would you find out about them without marketing how would you be educated and things like public health campaigns and so on um, it, it, you know it really matters to people's personal growth to the experiences they have in their lives to their business their jobs the economy um, and so I'm you know it was really about thinking you know this is not a negative thing a lot of people are quite negative about advertising um, and the things that go with it but actually we're proud to be part of this industry because it really does add to the world and it could do even more 
and that's what we're trying to highlight to the industry uh, globally. Mm, lovely. So you're always in the meta world talking around marketing, of course. Uh, you're also running a business, which happens to be in the media space. So I was just wondering how you apply what you hear, learn when you're writing to what you're doing, because it's sort of one thing to talk about it. You know, like the, 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 what's the cobbler who's wearing poor shoes. There's often the challenge of adapting what you say, like a consultant uh, will says, well, you should just do this, and the, but they don't know how to do it from themselves. What kind of, what kind of lessons have you learned about and uh, in, 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 uh, what's worked in the type of marketing you use to run the drum? Yeah, I, I think you can be more right about the cobbler's shoes. I don't think we apply uh, everything that we write about as much as we could, but this is actually one of the reasons why the drum and what we do is important is because every marketer is in the same position as we are with our marketing, which is there is an overwhelming amount of change um, happening. Uh, when I think back to when I joined the business, if you knew you, you needed to know about advertising, direct marketing, um, design and PR, and that was that pretty much covered everything in marketing at the time. And now if you were to list all the things from programmatic to analytics uh, to GDPR, um, you know, all the new kinds of marketing and all the new things you need to know, it, it, it is just not possible really to keep up with it all. And I think that's the biggest challenge that marketers have got. Um, and we're there to help with that. But we suffer in the same way that we, we can't possibly absorb it all either. Um, but we're, we're adapting um, as fast as we can and trying to explore new avenues for bringing the right content to people um, at the time when they, when they need it most. Well, you certainly had to do a lot of adapting over the years since you've been around and, and surviving through so many different changes. One of the things that might be interesting for everybody is to just to understand a little bit more about what the drum provides, other than the sort of sometimes the, the front-facing website that people probably know the most. Tell us yeah. about what your business is about and, and all the events you run. Yeah. So as you mentioned earlier, you know, we think that marketing is a good force in the world. It changes the world for the better. And so our, everything we do at the drum, we're trying to help marketers make better decisions for the reasons we just discussed about how difficult it is um, to, to absorb all the information that you need. So we do this in a variety of ways. Um, uh, obviously, the drum.com is the, is the hub for all the, all the activity that we do. Um, and over a million marketers a month come to the website to get information and to learn. Um, we've also actually just opened that up. We're just uh, offering a new service launching at the moment, which is called Open Mic. And that is um, the self-publishing platform for the marketing industry. So what we're doing is, I suppose it's an acknowledgement of what I've just said, which is that you know, we can't possibly cover everything that's needed to be covered. And so we want other um, people to come on board and bring their expertise um, to the platform and help in our mission to you know really assist people to make decisions so that's called open mic and that is uh, launching um it's launching right now um the other things we do include the drum recommends which is it's a bit like TripAdvisor, but for brands choosing agencies so it allows um brands to make decisions based on ratings that have been made by other um you know, by other buyers of those services. So rather than just listening to the pitch of somebody that you might be wanting to take on to do your marketing, uh, you can actually see what, what other people 
have thought of what they're good at and what they're maybe not so good at and who's good in their company. Um, we do a lot of events, many of which are now virtual. Sure. Um, so we are running festivals throughout the year for different um, niches in the market, I suppose. And one of the most exciting things that we um, are launching very shortly, um, once everybody is free to move about, um, is something called the Drum Labs, uh, where we're taking over a three-storey building in Shoreditch and we're turning it into an innovation centre where brands, innovation leaders, agencies, media companies can all come together to learn and play with new technologies um, and think about the future. Uh, they can showcase new um, approaches, new tech, um, and we'll be doing a lot of live content from there. We already have a studio set up in there. There's going to be a connected coffee shop, a connected bar. There's going to be a retail experience of the future. Um, and we're really looking forward to seeing all the different ways that our creative um, sector will come together to make that a really exciting space. Well, so it, that's it was, the flavor of the sort of things we're doing. Yeah. Just coming back to one point, which is that since you're at the nub of all marketing, in fact, I'm thinking you actually have a worse job in some regards because you're kind of aware of everything. And that for many, they're not even still, you know, no, no one's really come into figured out VR, or AR or AI and also these other tech possibilities. You are inevitably confronted with all of them. So you actually have this, you know, a vaster variety from which to choose, which is probably a difficult thing. Yeah. I mean, I think that's why I love, I love what I do. I said at the beginning, one of the things is I'm really curious um, and enjoy learning stuff. And I'm really looking forward to the drum labs um, because it's going to help me to understand a whole lot of things that I don't really understand because I literally haven't seen them. Right. I write, you know, I, I read about them, mm -hmm. but it's not the same as being able to actually, actually interact and have people on the spot explaining things to you and demonstrating uh, use cases and so on um, and one of the things I'm really becoming interested in and I'm determined to educate myself on quite quickly is 5G uh -huh. um, and how that's going to massively change the capabilities of AR, VR, um, IoT, the speed, of our, you know, the speed we're going to be able to do things. I think there'll be a lot of IoT mm -hmm. activities in the drum labs and I think that's going to be really good fun. You know I think it will be um, at times like a playground. <laughs> um, you mentioned just love coming in to, to, to get a taste of what the future is going to be like. 100%. And one of the things you mentioned is this idea, instead of just reading about it, doing it, living it, experiencing it. And I, I tend to believe that is one of the biggest challenges in business today is that the, the CEO and the C-suite, terribly busy doing so many other things, they read in the Wall Street Journal or maybe in the drum, you know, hopefully, yet do they not really understand what the experience is? And then the agency comes and says, well, we should spend, you know, X amount of pounds on, on putting this together. Oh, that, yeah, I heard about that. It's very interesting. I saw it in the drum. But they don't really get what it's down to. And the agency typically is going to sell them what they make money on. The brand guy, not knowing enough, is, is not going to be able to feel the experience for the customer. And therefore, you end up with these horrible customer experiences where no one's really got into the shoes and used and been and lived as a customer. Mm -hmm. I think there's always a bit of push and pull between, you know, wanting to always get the next new shiny thing, whether it's relevant or not, 
and what you're talking about, which is not really having any experience of what you could be doing mm. um, and therefore holding back. Um, and well, I think that's that's a constant um, balance that, you know, marketers, you know, heads of marketing and people running agencies um, are, are facing. Well, hopefully how, I mean, a lot how, of... would you, how would you how would you persuade them? Well, in any event, I, I don't know exactly that, except to try to say, well, if you want to do effective customer experience, use it, be it get in their shoes, go to the drum labs. Um, so with regard to events, I, I would be curious to hear from you and you, you who run so many events, even if you're a publisher on the other side, what, what do you think of the learnings out of this pandemic period and this new flush with virtual experiences? Are we, are our future events, how impacted are they, our future in real person events like the drum labs going to be by what we've been going, we've gone through? Yeah, well, that's a that's a massive question for all publishing and media companies at the moment because many of them are very reliant on events. Indeed, there's some companies that are events only, and I yeah. really feel for them at the moment. It must be it must be very stressful. Our approach is uh, we've pivoted as quickly as we possibly could. Um, we staged a virtual festival um, actually by the end of March, um, nice. which was quick to replace a physical event that we were sure. doing. Our award shows, which would normally be big black tie dinners, we do not anticipate um, doing any this year at all. I know that a lot of companies in our shoes are you know, saying they're going to do things in Q4. We've just decided we're not going to do that. And we're now doing our award shows online, hmm. um, which actually means I think that they can become more global. Hmm. Um, I think having a physical event for your awards, no matter whether the entries are open internationally or not, is always going to impact how you know whether people feel it's a local or national event yeah and um, are, they, are, are the award winners going to fly in from indonesia to london well they don't that's well some some festivals i mean something like can you know is obviously very you know they there are international festivals that achieve sure. that but for for um a lot that's that's you know um more difficult to achieve um i mean i would love you know people from all over the world to be joining on to you know a call for a conference or for an award show um, and feel part of a global community which they could never do if they had to pay the money to go so i so our in our um, future certainly the immediate future i don't see any big set piece events like that and maybe never maybe we'll never go back to doing that that said um meeting people and face to face is still really important um, I think that we will be doing um, things in a slightly different way from what we've done before and that the drum labs has got spaces from, um, you know, that might hold a meeting for six people around a table up to, you know, um, 150 people in a room uh, to 50 people going around testing things and playing with things or indeed maybe about 300 people in the whole building if it was taken over. So I see um, that our events in the future are going to be much more about um, allowing people to get involved with the drum, but make their own experience in our space. But also for us curating experiences from different companies together so that they get to not just sitting at a table next to another company, having dinner and talking to your own people, but actually interacting with other businesses and getting much more cross fertilization of ideas. So that, that, that's my, the, the best way I can kind of describe how I see the future mm. um, for, for our events. Nice. 
it's uh, going to be tricky, that's for sure. There's still, uh, I, I ran an event with 300 people and, and still getting bums on seats, right? Because that's what events are. And, but it's kind of an ironic element because bums on seats where it's a plane ride to a taxi to a hotel is very different than me sitting in my desk like we are right now. Which seat do I need to move to? Actually, I don't need to move to seats now. I need to actually get clicks on online and, and, and not be distracted by another window because or a pop-up or notification while I'm watching this event, the awards, as engaging as it must be. Now the challenge isn't about getting the bum in an airplane, in a car, to a hotel, to your event. It's about actually keeping their capturing their attention in front of you with so many other things in the same screen. Yeah. I mean, I, th I, th I think one of the counters to that, though, is that some of the giant international companies are saying things like, we're not even going to consider any travel till October. Uh, one I know, which is you know, a huge company, said there will be no travel really this year at all. Um, so I think if you know, people get into habit for that long of doing what we're doing right now and being in completely different places and you know, getting on fine with it, um, then it will be easier for that to continue in the future. I do still believe that people really want to meet other people. I mean, that's where you, know, you, you get the joy out of life, really. I, I, I think that um, people have viewed that it's really hard to meet new people um, without meeting them in person, but actually it's become quite normal. And uh, in fact, I've got, got in contact with some people that, and just said, look, we don't know each other. Do you fancy a virtual G&T late one afternoon? and be good to get to know you. And, and that's been really successful. And it's very strange to just go, oh, hello, nice to meet you. <laughs> um, well, in real life, we don't get to kiss, we don't get to shake hands or anything like that. So it's, there's a similarity at that level. It's a social distancing. One of the things I'm thinking about is we talked about companies maybe going only virtual, not having come you know, in real life conferences. Part of me says, well, there's the ecological benefit. There's also going to be the economic benefit. And I, I certainly feel that that's going to be one of the ways that companies are going to scrimp and try to get back some of the lost profits through the pandemic issues. The question then becomes how do they layer in the budget for 2021, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it's going to be a bit of a, a weird mix because I hear people start saying things like, oh, we've just moved all our events into Q4. We're doing, somebody said to me, we're doing 89 events in November or something ridiculous like that. And I think um, there's various issues with that. Well, first of all, how do you resource it yeah. without, you know, killing your team? Uh, how are you going to get people along? Because nobody is going to want to go out every single night, um, you know, to, to an event. So I think the demand will be less from that point of view. And also the demand is going to be less because people can't afford it. Uh, they yeah. can't afford to the trains, the, you know, the pre-dinner drinks, the hotel rooms, you know, the, the, the tickets. So I think there's going to be a weird um, misalignment between supply and demand in terms of live events at the end of this year and potentially the beginning of next year. What happens after that remains to be seen. Um, I think you're right that there, the, the economics of um, virtual conferences seems to be quite good at the moment, whether that's mm. because there's no alternative remains to be seen. Mm. Um, and I think there's, yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for the hospitality industry to recover as well. And I feel that this might be a long-term blow to them, that if virtual events take off, 
Um, they won't completely replace in person, but they're certainly um, going to change the emphasis quite considerably. So um, I think I think people are changing as well. I mm. mean, I hear so many people saying that they don't want to go back to rushing about all the time. Uh, people saying, I thought I really loved traveling to London every week. Um, but now I realize I, I don't. <laughs> you like, I like the two hours extra sleep. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I, I don't know. It seems to me the place is coming to life already mm. um, around us. You know, the, the roads are getting busier. The pavements are getting busier. You know, people are habitual. And it's going to maybe take more than this to break their habits completely. So I think it's everything to, everything to play for in terms of live and virtual. It, it is indeed to see what, what sticks and change. Change is for sure. Growth is the option, I like to say. You've mm -hmm. been through a lot of change at the drum. And I'm wondering how you would describe your best learnings if, if, if you're trying, because basically change seems to be the new norm. And, and so how do you bring that in to the drum and, and keep the change going and, and the energies in your team so they're not overworked and all that? Yeah, um... I think that our industry, the industry we work in, uh, makes it, I suppose, easy in a way because, everything, you know, it, it's such a fast-moving industry, marketing, um, and as I mentioned earlier, media is changing so quickly. But um, I don't think there's any, there's ever a time when we think, well, this is all getting a bit samey. Um, and we're really lucky. We've got people who are, embrace new ideas. They come up with new ideas, um, and, and they're willing to change what they do quite quite quickly i think in other industries that that might be harder mm. um change is I part of the dna isn't it yeah i suppose it is and that's what makes it fun and um i think we're i think we are quite good at it um we're good at doing things at pace sometimes we don't always get it completely right as a result yeah. but at least we we move you know, we, we you do things. got some I mean, momentum. Yeah, we've right. got momentum. I mean, reality is we need to learn how to accept failure, of course, without going under. Yeah. As a CEO of The Drum, I, I'm very curious. It's a question I regularly ask for C-suite type of individuals, how they manage their own personal branding and to what extent you think it's important for the C-suite to have a personal brand and represent the brand externally as a person mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i mean it seems a bit of a counterintuitive thing to say but i try to be myself i mean how can you try to be yourself because you are yourself but i try i suppose i try not to assume a, a, some sort of other uh, other persona um when i'm when i'm out and about and when i'm speaking at events or, or doing podcasts like this mm -hmm. um but i suppose what i mean is that i um, I like to sort of be open about the things um, that I've done that have been mistakes, what I've been through, the lessons I've learned, um, and, and to share the successes and the, the failures, I suppose, in, in equal measure, um, or at least in the same proportions to what I'm experiencing them at, at that point in time and over, over my past. Some, some phases are better in your life than others. Um, and I try to make sure that I do measure my words carefully from the point of view that I don't, I don't want to ever be judgmental, come across as um, 
um, entitled or something entitled like that. Yeah, yeah and and just to not be hurtful i mean one of our values at the drum is in terms and we particularly use it in terms of our, our writing and our coverage is that you know we want to shake things up but we'll never be nasty um yeah. and you know there's some stories that people ask us to cover or expect us to cover and we just think well that doesn't really add anything and it's just gonna you know make someone who already is in a difficult situation feel much worse and it, it, it's not going to help marketers to make better decisions and um, it's just going to make um other you know people who might feel a bit uh, revengeful or something that's yeah. going to make them feel good but other than that it adds absolutely no value um so i i suppose i just try and um conduct myself in, in a similar way well, then, I love I love hearing other people's stories. I mean, most most of what I learn is from listening to, you know, other people who are really open. And one of the things that I've really treasured throughout my career is people that I've been able to go to, sometimes customers, uh, sometimes suppliers, sometimes just people I know. And you can have a really open conversation with them um, and, you know, talk about the worst things that are happening to you <laughs> and yeah. how they're almost destroying you um and you know that you f you feel bad and they will help you they will help pull you up they'll empathize they'll share times when they felt like that themselves um, and those are the best people um to have in your life and I'm, i've been fortunate that i've got quite a few people like that that i can talk to and um i hope that you know that they, they feel the same well it, it, I, of course i don't know who those people are but from the person that I know of you, it seems that by allowing that you make mistakes and showing that vulnerability, it's going to attract other people who are capable of sharing in an honest way. The challenge is that, that in businesses, so often when you admit I made a mistake, you, you think or you, you are judged for being a failure. You, you have weakness. Look, you're talking about your, your mistakes and so on. Mm. And and so being authentic and allowing for the other side of you to be presented and presenting it as a public figure that you are, how, what's the discourse in your mind and maybe the kind of advice you give to CEOs who are running big businesses? Because I mean, I know from my experience, a lot of them aren't willing or able to avow their own mistakes and foibles. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I'm lucky because I'm running my own business and it's not a big corporate. I mean, some some people can't even, you know, have an interview with a journalist without their PR person being there. And I think that's extremely difficult. That makes it extremely difficult for them to, to really be authentic. Sure. Well, I suppose they need to find a different way. So say I'm fortunate that, um, you know, the, the drum has a, I think the drum as a brand has a personality and that's a reflection of the people that are in it. And we have had, you know, we've got quite a, a number of people in our business who've been in 10, 15, 20 years with us um, and really have obviously bought into that and they reflect, they reflect that personality out. So I suppose it's finding, um, finding a way to gather together the right people around you so that you're all, so that the whole brand can can have a personality with its own you know each person having their own little things within that but that would then allow you know ceos to to just be, be part of something bigger and it's not just about their personality although that's part of it hmm. does, that, well, make, I mean, does right. that make sense yeah it does i mean the challenge i mean for having been a marketer most of my life 
I'm fully aware of the lack of trust that customers have about anything that comes out of my mouth or from the brand that I was running or whatever, because we are a distrustful organization in, or you know, a profession in general, because we have basically sold products for the moon when we're actually we're just selling as a widget. Mm-hmm. And, and so our, our seeking out the ways to stand above the crowd not reeled in at all has made us feel less trustworthy. And, and then on top of that, you don't even trust your individuals in your company to speak uh, without being, you know, overviewed, for example, how on earth do you further the trust? And so when I hear you saying, well, I'm thankful because I run this company or you own it. Well, I think that that's the issue with so many of these big brands and marketers is that they, they don't own it. Mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. in a more physiological manner, if you know what I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was saying, you know, the, our company personality is made up of lots of individuals as well. And they, you know, we trust them to, you know, conduct themselves in, in a certain manner. We explain what our way of working is to them when they join. And we try and, you know, highlight that on a regular basis. But within that set of values, that, that, that gives them a guide as to, you know what they can do and what they what they can say when they're part of the drum and really they they get a lot of trust um, and i suppose that's what's much more difficult to gain in a big organization um especially the, the challenge is as i as i grow our organization how do we keep how do we keep that going um you know as we have different offices in different countries different and cultures new people and so come on. in and mm-hmm. sure i mean that but that's let's say that's the challenge of leadership. And, and uh, you know, for someone who spends a lot of time talking about empathy, you know, it's one thing to write empathy as one of our values. It's another thing to live it and make it feel real as much mm-hmm. as possible because you're never going to be perfect. Even if you have the value up on the sheet, you know, there are going to be days where you're more behind it than you're ahead of it. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And it's, it's being able to uh, embrace that, variation and messiness. I mean, I I like the word messiness a lot because I think it really, first of all, represents life. And to the extent that marketing has through, I think, mistaken judgment thought that it's all about retouching the girl to be perfectly, you know, wrinkleless, that notion of striving for, look how amazing my product will make you feel 25 years younger Mm -hmm. kind of approach as opposed to being more real being more honest and, 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 and sometimes, for example, accepting that I'm not so good or at least that I make mistakes. Yeah, I think one of the um, things that, that marketers must do is try and work out, you know, where the line is between, you know, selling, a, selling an, an ideal and something to strive for and, and just also making sure that people don't realize that life isn't necessarily perfect. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's a challenge because if everything that, in marketing was just, you know, um, you can, <laughs> you can improve yourself slightly <laughs> or have a slightly better time or, you know, whatever it is that that's, that's not really uh, that's not really going to, I, it's not going to sell product, but I think at, marketing should be a, a little bit, at least about aspiration, about, um, you know, helping people to be healthier or to think about different activities or, you know, buy, buy different things. Um, and, and we see that a lot now in terms of, you know, the, the um, move towards more environmentally friendly products, 
um, more purposeful brands, more authentic brands, you know, they are they are gaining traction. Um, and that's something that every every marketer is really having to learn how to do. And sometimes it's difficult. Depends what your product is. You know, how can you be really purposeful about, you know, producing nails and hammers or you know, well, I make, whatever I make it is you happen house to sell. You live under. I, I think every that's what I think, Diane. I mean, even financial services who have amongst the most seedy reputations out there, they serve a great purpose. The challenge is reeling back the need for profits and remembering what purpose they serve and the community they serve. And, and rather than being sort of profit bottom line centric and me, 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 and my career as the CEO or whatever, how do you step out and do something for the bigger community? Of course, you have to do that not only with authenticity, you have to do it in the long term. Otherwise, it's just another, you know, marketing campaign. Yeah, yeah. I suppose the question just is, why, why is, why does what I'm doing matter? That's it. And is the answer good enough to make me want to continue, you know, working hard at doing it? Love it, Diane. Um, a lovely conversation. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, I would love for you to tell us how people can subscribe, get to know more about what you guys are up to at the drama, or of course, indeed, follow you. Yes. Uh, so uh, our, obviously you can go to thedrum.com uh, from anywhere in the world and consume our fantastic content. Um, I can also be found posting on LinkedIn and I've actually just launched a podcast myself uh, called Marketing Stories. Uh, which can be found on iTunes and all the usual channels. And it's basically me reading some of the content from our print magazine. Brilliant. Well, I'll be sure to put all of that in the show notes, Diane. Thanks for coming on the show. Keep keep uh, making the change uh, that needs to happen in our world and uh, love to follow on with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on minterdial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. And to finish, here's a song I wrote with Stephanie Singer, A Convinced Man. What's
wrong with challenge I know soon we all die I like the feel of a stranger tucked around me precipitating the danger to feel free trust in my reason and let me show you why This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today.